We are in the middle of a sermon series uh, on American idols. We figured we'd start it right after the season, you know, of American idols so that they wouldn't be confused. Because uh, when we say idols, we don't mean, uh, uh, you know, pop stars. Uh, we are uh, talking about uh, idols uh, more akin to uh, wood and stone idols and, and things like that. We are talking about idolatry or idols that, uh, that plague us as uh, um, as people, uh, as people of God, we have, um, we're talking about idols of, of, uh, of, uh, uh, that are important to us. And when we say idols, what we mean is, is things we worship, that we give devotion to, things that we, uh, that are false gods, that we, um, that we give ourselves over to, that we care for and, and obey and, uh, and respond to and value uh, more than God Himself. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about idols. John Calvin, the great reformer, said, Every one of us is, even from our mother's womb, a master craftsman of idols. Later on, he says that we are, our hearts are idol factories, just producing one idol after another, which is a really interesting thing. Um, uh, and, uh, but I think it's true. I think we trade them out pretty easily. Uh, we can create new ones, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a second. But, uh, but I want you to be sure of this. Uh, that, that, that this actually proves something pretty important. This proves that, in my mind, it proves that, uh, that if all of us are so apt to uh, pursue idols and create things we want to worship, well, when we find out that the wooden or stone idol isn't real, we haven't proved that God isn't real. We just proved that He wasn't stone or wood. There, are, there is an instinct in us that says there is, there is worshiping to be done. There's an instinct in us that says uh, that, that we're supposed to give ourselves wholly to something. And we create these idols because we don't uh, want uh, God himself to be our idol. We don't want uh, him to be our idol. But it doesn't mean just because we have messed up views of God or we worship different things that God doesn't exist. It doesn't mean that at all. It probably means just the opposite. It just doesn't, it means that he doesn't exist in the way we wanted to shape him. God is a, uh, is a God and not an idol. Jesus actually is dealing with this in our passage today. If you look down in your, uh, in your bulletins, you'll read, you, we'll read together what he deals with there. He, uh, he talks about, uh, he doesn't use the, 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 the term of idolatry here, but in the parallel passage of Matthew 6, which is the parallel passage to this Luke passage, um, he actually does, he actually personifies what we're talking about in this uh, American uh, Idol sermon series today, which is on materialism. Uh, he talks about it in terms of, in the old translations, mammon. And mammon is important because this is the only sin I know of, but I could be wrong, but I, that I know of that God calls uh, or personifies that he makes a personal thing, that he uses the language of something with a will and power and strength and uh, an ability to kind of work on you, not just something you work on. It's kind of like creating a, a robot to, wor- to, to worship or something like that. Eventually it can like, you know, have its own power and even power to, to adjust you. And so he calls it mammon in the parallel passage to this. And so it's a really important, I think a really important um, uh, uh, uh a really important thing for us to think about it because it seems like it is to Jesus. So let's read our passage today. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, some translation the birds. 
They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. And do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things. And your Father knows that you need them. But seek His kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give them to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. Or treasure in heaven. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray uh, that that, uh, you would have my words and that you'd have my heart and you'd have all of our hearts, that you would uh, would tackle this issue with us um, and do so with your grace and kindness and strength. In your name, amen. This is always a mess. I, I'm, I don't want to teach on this one. I could have done the other ones like power or something like that. Sex, power, something other than materialism. Um, this is just, this is like, um, like pulling on something that just keeps coming and keeps coming. And, and depending on the angle you're taking, it's, it's, it's just a mess. I, uh, I used to drive an 83 uh, Volvo station wagon that was given me. And it had leather seats. And a, uh, and a CD player, which the leather seats is really bad most of the times in, in North Carolina because it's either too cold or it's way too hot. But uh, uh, the CD player is what I really liked, which I'd never had in a car before. That was really nice. And I was given to me uh, about oh, seven years ago. I drove it for about four years. Uh, uh, and, uh, when I would go, and, and I, my life is, 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 in, it has consistently interacted with the very poor and the very wealthy. And so, um, I'd go some places. And it was like, sweet George, look at that ride. That is nice. You got a Volvo. It looks good. And literally, I'd leave there. And I'd go somewhere else. And I'm like, Giorgio, you're about to have children. That is unacceptable. That's an 83. That is not acceptable. You need to do something. You need to do something about that car. And so whenever you talk about materialism and stuff, you're always, you're always got to, you know, kind of, you know, hold your mouth right and look from different angles. And, uh, I want to venture to say to just, and this is kind of an overall issue, but I really want to encourage us, especially as a community at Christ Central, if you're a member here, to let's do this together. Let's work through these issues, all these applications, all these things that we're kind of doing or worried about or thinking about. I want us to, uh, to do them together because, well, frankly, (laughs) because, Because we can't see clearly on our own. We can't see clearly on our own at all. Because I was nervous about this topic and this issue, I uh, emailed my close friends who, uh, who uh, I, I, I kind of do theological work with or, or biblical work with. And uh, one guy wrote back and said, I'm glad you're doing it. You know what idols do? And do you know what the idol of materialism does? I'm going to read to you some of his email. He just flipped this out and I was like, this is brilliant. And, uh, uh, and uh, I want to read it to you. They rule over us, 
over certain areas. They demand obedience and they promise salvation, just like a God. First, the God of materialism demands obedience. It, he, it has commands. Thou shalt go to the right schools to get the right job. Thou shalt take the job that offers you more money, even if that means uprooting every couple of years. Thou shalt not give away money sacrificially. And this obedience can be sacrificial in and of itself, asking much of the person, long hours and laid off factory workers, and not just sacrificial to us, but destructive to others. The God exerts pressure on us so that we do things like start sweatshops and pillage the environment and withhold just wages from people. But the idol also offers salvation, he says, wholeness to those who bow to it and perform according to its laws. And it does this by primarily offering us an eschatology, theological talk for the future end utopian vision. And that's what eschatology means. Sorry for the Bible babble. Um, I often think of the financial planning ads with the older couples rowing a boat happily at retirement. This functions as Revelation 21-22, the end. This functions as the last day in a culture ruled by the empire of Western capitalism. If you do the right things... You and your wife will be rowing your boat into paradise. Was that brilliant or what? That was brilliant. In other words, materialism is a God, but it's a cruel God. And what Jesus is doing here is setting up a distinction, a difference between the reign of the God of materialism or mammon and his reign. And that's really the two kind of uh, points of the sermon. We're going to spend a little bit of time on the reign of mammon or, or, uh, or the, uh, the god of materialism, the false god of materialism, and spend a little bit more time on uh, the god uh, that Jesus, uh, the king of the kingdom that Jesus calls us to. See, the problem was is that it, 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 it rules over us, it demands obedience, it keeps us spending, if you will. We spend our energies and our times on, uh, on, on materialism. If you look at verse 22 through 24, then Jesus said to the disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap, they have no storeroom uh, or barn, but God feeds them. See, Jesus is assuming something here. I want you to kind of look carefully. He's assuming that uh, uh, that uh, when he tells us not to worry, he's assuming what? That we're worrying. Uh, he seemed, he's assuming that we're overly concerned uh, uh, with our eating and our bodies and what we'll wear. When he tells us to consider the raven's lack of storehouses or barns, he's assuming, in fact, that we do worry about and are spending too much time worrying about our storehouses and our barns, things we kind of uh, keep, our SureGuard uh, uh, um, um, storehouses, I guess is what they should be called. Uh, uh, we are going after them in a way that is not exactly good for us. He, he assumes that, that, that this is going to be bad, and he sees it as dangerous because he sees materialism as a cruel god over us. Because we're spending all this time and energy on something that's not really, um, not really uh, uh, life-giving. It's not really important. But what is the commodities that we are buying? We're spending all this time and energy, and that's kind of a given and agreed in this passage. But what are we buying? And that's, I think, a really important thing to discuss, to figure out what we're buying when we're spending all this stuff, so that we know, uh, so, so that we know the, kind of the heart longing that goes with it. My contention is that we do it on two things. Uh, significance and status, and safety and security. Those are the two things that we both have. It's my contention, not just because I, I'm a great sociologist and figured it out, but it's in the scriptures. If you look at verse 25, who of you, 
by worrying can add a single hour to his life. This is a tough passage to translate. If you've got other passages in there, uh, sometimes it says add a single cubit, because that's the actual literal translation. Sometimes it's a single hour or a single moment. Sometimes it's a single, uh, 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 it just does cubit. And that's because cubit's a tough word to translate. It actually means uh, uh, 18 inches. <laughs> that's what it means. Basically, it's 18 inches. And so the question is whether or not uh, it means uh, add any time to your life, uh, a lengthening, you know, kind of using that metaphor, or does it mean uh, uh, that you kind of grow in stature, that you're a little higher on the hog? And for us, those seem like different things. For us, that seems like, um, uh, you know, because we don't value age as much and the lengthening of our days, that doesn't seem as, as exciting to us as kind of growing in stature. But I want you to know that in one sense, no matter how this is translated, it comes across as the same thing. Elderliness, longer days, is actually a status thing. And uh, 18 inches of higher stature is also a status thing. You you, you grow in status and significance. Uh, And what Jesus is saying is um, that it won't add that to you, uh, so why worry about it? But what the God of materialism says, this cruel God says, is that I will give it to you, and we sell ourselves for it. We want to buy that, and we'll put our money on the table. I was watching uh, T.O., Terrell Owens. Uh, on ESPN last week. And if you know Terrell Owens, he, uh, uh, well, let's just say he's not been exactly a darling media, I mean, media darling, and uh, hasn't actually been doing exactly what he needed to do. So he, here was his plan. I am going to uh, show that I'm for the community in Dallas, and I'm going to create a, um, a, a program for uh, inner city youth. And he does so. And he shows up on the first day. And all the kids are so excited because T.O. is in town and you're about to learn how to play football from T.O., which would be a pretty amazing thing. But he starts going, he, he says the first questions that they start asking, they start going, hey, um, what kind of shoes are those? Tell me about your watch. How much does it cost? They start asking him all these questions. Uh, uh, and so the next day he comes back and all the other questions are not about football. They're all about the stuff he's got on. And T.O. said in this kind of, it was, I don't know why ESPN was telling the story, but um, uh, he said, he said, I had to kind of go in there and say, you guys, don't think about the stuff. You need to think about hard work and figuring out how to play the, uh, play the game of football. You got your eyes on the wrong thing. You got your, uh, uh, you need to be worried about hard work and football. T.O. gets that we spend on status. We spend in order to get status and prestige and significance. And uh, there's another commercial that, or there is a commercial that does this too. And that's that wonderful VW commercial, uh, which is just hauntingly funny. Uh, and that is, they're driving the VWs, they're driving, the, the VW owners are driving, and, uh, and they start driving along, and all these people with kind of more pretentious cars uh, are, are around, and they have the bullhorn. Y'all have seen this? Okay, good. Thank you. I'm glad you watch TV because this would have fallen really flat. Uh, uh, and so, um, and so one person, let me read, I wrote them down. Uh, uh, one of, these are not status, a couple of them are not status. He says, because my daddy never hugged me. Uh, and so he has this, you know, pretentious car and he's, he's, you know, blowing this uh, message out to the people. Uh, because when, and there's this woman who's driving a real flashy car and she's dressed kind of flashy. Because when men notice me, I love myself more. Because I make more money than you. This is kind of a, you could kind of tell it was a really nice ride. You can't, they never show what other car it is, but you can kind of guess. Uh, because I make more money than you. And, and it's just this kind of really funny thing. Uh, because I'm compensating, you know, all these other things that go on. And, uh, uh, but, but the because I make more money than you 
is a status claim. It's a significance claim. And materialism purchases that status, that stature, that cubit, if you will. Uh, and it gives you, uh, it gives you strength and status and power. Now here's the problem. Both, is the problem is that this is such a cruel God that it gets you in so many, it gets you in trouble in so many ways that both T.O. and Volkswagen miss the point. They are still trapped by the same God. T.O. didn't say, T.O. didn't come back in, you know, khakis in a, in a t-shirt. He said, if you want this, you have to work hard. He said, the status and stature, the materialism still stands. It is still God of this situation. You just got to work harder to do it. You're look, you, I'm giving you the strategy towards it. And VW is the same way. It's a different kind of stature. Now, no offense to you VW drivers. And I know there's some of you out there. Because it's such a good bohemian car to drive. Um, but I'm waiting for the reaction commercial that says, because I still have money, but I don't want to look pretentious with the VW driving. You see that it's still another different type of status claim. No, it really is no offense to you. I'm just, just like the other cars don't mean that way too. I saw a couple of VW drivers cover their mouths, so I didn't want, uh, sorry. I wasn't trying to be pretentious. Um, I wasn't trying to be, I'm not after you. Um, but you see how it kind of, it's still about status in some way. It's still about stature. It's a different kind of materialism. It's a different kind of thing you pursue. And, uh, but it's still the same thing. It's still trapped under the same reign of that God. You see that? Can you see that? Status is just, we have all sorts of nonverbal materialistic status claims. We're smart enough to not go necessarily, I'm the man or we're the man, uh, uh, you know, I'm the best. But we don't realize that we're trapped into thinking the homes we buy and the appliances we buy and the things that we pursue uh, don't really, th- we don't really think, we don't really realize that we actually are looking for them to give us significance and status. I used to have, I basically have Bobo Crocs. You know what Crocs are? Those ugly shoes that, that, yeah. Well, they're these shoes that are ugly. And I had them about five years ago because my brother-in-law gave them to me because he found them in a kayak store and he said they were really comfortable. Well, my son has this thing for me where he wants to dress exactly like me in every way, shape, or form, uh, which is a little bit of a problem. Because uh, uh, we don't really have the, can't really afford a whole new wardrobe. But... So he wants these Crocs. And, and I'm, I'm fighting this kind of pursuit of materialism and this pursuit of status and this, uh, this, this, well, can, can we find ones that aren't Crocs per se? Uh, you know, can we, can we do something that's not just giving him this kind of value added, uh, status claim? I know he's three and a half. Don't get, I'm not trying to, uh, say he's got all this in his head, but he can't, he can't talk to him. Minor Crocs now. Everything gets, everything gets named by its status claim. Everything gets named by, I have a white shirt, uh, that's a tie shirt and it's got a polo on it. And so he needed a polo shirt. Now he's obsessed with polo. I'm like, oh man, I wish my shirt didn't have a polo on it because he could be just be obsessed with white. Uh, 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 but he has to, he has to have it. And so I'm going, Oh, well, this all matters. I just say this because it gets us in every shape or form. We, you know, uh, uh, he has to have, he has to, he wants the Crocs now. And I said, I was trying to plead with him. I was like, can you get your sandals on? He goes, no daddy, they're Crocs. You know, already brand matters and brand brings you from him. It's, it's innocent. And as far as I can tell, because it, uh, uh, because it's tied to me and not, you know, status, uh, but I can already see the market forming him and forming his appetites. And it's really disturbing. 
But that's the cruel God of materialism. That's what it does. I said it's about status and significance, but it's also about uh, uh, security and safety. And this commodity may be the most attractive for, for us. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Uh, he talks about the storeroom and barn because the passage that exists right before this passage. The passage that exists right before this passage is a fuss and then a parable. And uh, Jesus is walking through the crowds and a brother comes up to Jesus and says, Hey, tell my brother to share half the inheritance for me. And Jesus goes, or with me, and Jesus goes, why, why am I the judge? Well, you know, why am I the, who put me the arbiter between you? Or why do you make me the arbiter between you? And he says this. Watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he tells this story. And the story is this. A guy comes in, uh, a guy who's a, a farmer or a, a, a rich uh, uh, crop owner, uh, comes... Uh, produces this incredible crop. He doesn't know what to do with it. It's bountiful. And so he tears down his barns and he rebuilds bigger barns, bigger storage containers, and fills them up. And then he says this. Basically, I want to... I want to. Um, uh, let me read it directly from you. Uh, re- directly to you. Uh, I, will, I will store my, all my grain and my goods and I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. God says to him, you fool, this very night you'll be demanded, uh, your life will be demanded from you. Then you'll get what you have prepared for yourself. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not enriched towards God. What he's doing is he's saying, this is a, I, I may sound harsh here, but I'm nowhere near as cruel as this storing God. This God who promises uh, that life will be easy and you can row off into your retirement with no, uh, no sense of worth, no sense of, uh, of richness towards God. To pick up on the, uh, uh, on the, on the safety issue again, I, I was, when I was getting, uh, when I was just having our first child, I was looking at car seats. Which car seat should you get? And, uh, and I was like, well, they come from like 50 bucks to almost $500, you know, or $300. And I was like, I, don't, I just, I don't know which one to get. What, you know, I'm trying to do the consumer reports and figure out which one the best one is. And a person came up to me one time and said, now, Giorgio, it wasn't the same person who said the same thing about the car, by the way. Now, Giorgio, you need to get that $300 car seat. There's no question about it. You need to get that. This is your children at stake. And I was just automatically caught. You mean this is a choice between whether I love my children or not? This is a choice between safety or non-safety for my children? That's the, that's what's at hand here? There isn't a hundred dollar safe one? This is, there's nothing else? Do you see how materialism promises safety? Do you see how money can promise safety? I'm not saying there aren't safer things or less safe things. I'm not saying safety doesn't matter. I'm saying do you see how materialism, how, 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 uh, how it, how it promises a certain safety that, uh, that, 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 that really it can't keep? Security and safety are the classic um, uh, commodities of materialism. Uh, Mammon promises us status and safety, significance and security. But Jesus ultimately tells us that, um, that when we keep spending like this, we will be spent ourselves. Not only are we spending, but we become spent. And it's because mammon has our heart. Look in verse 34. For where your heart, where treasure is, there your heart will also be. Depending where your treasure is, your heart can be trampled or dignified, it says. 
the context of this passage says something kind of scary to us, and that is that we really, really can give our hearts to stuff. And you can measure that by looking at your checkbook. You can measure that by looking at where your treasures are. Which, not just your checkbook, but your daytimer. You can measure that by where you put your value, your value assets, what you do with them. You can check where your heart is via those things. That's a scary and terrifying thing, especially because I prefer you not to necessarily look at my checkbook. You know? And I know you probably would, would, would the same. I'm not completely haunted by it because I have unfortunately committed to actually having people look at my budget and accounts and all those other things. But, but it is, a, it's a pretty terrifying thing. When you're asked what, to evaluate where your, where our treasure is, uh, we end up being in a little bit of trouble because it tells us where our heart is. Jesus says it's the same place where our money and our resources and our time is, where we're spending. And eventually, it keeps us completely spent. Now, I don't, I do think you should probably, as I said before, work this out in community. Have people look over your stuff, look over uh, how we spend our money. People who are trusted and who know your heart and know your situation, because all of our situations are different. But, um, and I don't necessarily want to be that guy, by the way. Um, uh, uh, but uh, I, I do want us to kind of share and in, in, in our understanding of how this God of materialism can have us and how it can uh, can really affect us. Um, but, but when we watch. Uh, this has our heart in a way that's so clear to us because I, I've spent enough time with you. I don't know your checkbooks. I really, I really don't. I don't even know how much you give to the church or anything else for that matter. But I know what watching HGTV does to us. I watch uh, and know and hear your hearts uh, uh, that, that it, it affects us in significant ways. And so our God of, is not of wood and stone, but it is of granite. And fine cherry wood. I know what that does to us. It does it to me too. See, Extreme Makeovers Home Edition is not just the the, the show that makes you cry because it's so wonderful and it's just such a great thing that they did this. It also also affects your heart and and makes you long for things uh, that that are beyond your means. It certainly makes them long for things beyond their means. I still want to do the one-year reunion follow-up if everybody could afford their new taxes or, you know, keep their light bill going because of uh, what all just happened, you know, electricity and all the stuff that they're using differently. Um, But, but... You know, uh, when we watch uh, Pimp My Ride, we're not just laughing because it's Pimp My Ride and it seems a little overboard. But we somewhere in our heads go, you know what? You may need a little coffee, you know, maker in your car someday. You know, I could see it. You laugh. But what about TVs and cars? It happens that way. Mammon is powerful on us. And when we look at the celebrity shows and thinking about all the stuff we had to have, I mean, it's no problem to have five cars. I mean, come on. You might need them. You might need them. I was reading a book that said maybe we should have one car between five families. This is a Christian community. And we could all share it or one or two cars between five families. It's like, well, that's different. There's, that's that's anti-cribs uh, 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 or anti-celebrity uh, shows. All these things adjust our longings and they have our heart. But ultimately, they can't deliver. Jesus is saying that our hearts, if we give them over to this mammon, our hearts will be tended to by the steel hands of a God who is cruel and unforgiving. And the relentless grind of more and more and the gnawing ache of discontent will be your way. This is a, it's a God of our own crafting, a God of plastic, 
a God of, uh, of literal plastic like credit card. And it calls us away from that into something more. He knows that this can have us. He knows that this can affect us in certain ways. And he's saying, no, get, let me give you one last upgrade. You need an upgrade of a new God. You need to not have mammon be your God. He is not good enough for you. But come into my kingdom and I will be the king of all your materials. Jesus is calling for regime change. He is calling for uh, a new order, a new way of thinking. so that you don't look for your stuff for that status and that, uh, that importance, that you look somewhere else for it. He is asking you to seek a different thing, to seek, as verse 31 says, you can read, but seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Seek the kingdom, and I tell you, uh, uh, see, and what? I t- I'll take away your worry over status and safety. Is that what he's saying? Is he saying, seek the kingdom and you won't ever worry again? No, he's saying, seek the kingdom and I will meet your true needs and safety. I'm not going to withhold from you. I'm going to give you what you actually need. Jesus says that mammon offers everything and gives nothing but heartache. And he says, I offer the kingdom and will give you everything you need. Now, I want you not to do something here. You can treat, uh, uh, seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Like you could stick it on a bumper sticker, kind of like live simply so that others may simply live. And you can miss the point. The king of that kingdom is taught teaching this. Do not separate the king's advice from the king himself. Don't think about the kingdom out of relationship with the king. The king is saying, seek my kingdom. And in one real sense, you can kind of flip it and say, seek me and I will give you what you need. Jesus tells us that he needs regime change, regime change, can't even say that, from the God of materialism to, to himself, to God himself, himself. And so what that does is give us a new value and it gives us a new status. It gives us this new status. You know, the old God promises status, but the new God promises status. He says, look, the ravens don't reap or sow. They don't have a storeroom or or barn and God feeds feeds them. How much more valuable uh, you are than birds, exclamation point. God is saying you are more valuable than they. I know it doesn't always seem that way, especially when you're like watching TV and the bad guy's riding a, a, a you know, a horse or something like that. And, and you're okay if the bad guy gets shot, but if the horse gets shot, it's a, it's a real problem, you know? Uh, uh, but, but, but God values you more than horses or birds. And if you, if you talk about ravens here or the, the birds that he's talking about here, they're really kind of, um, uh, they're the pigeons of, of, of their day. It, uh, if you don't like pigeons, most people don't like pigeons, but, uh, they're, they're not really well liked. They're the low end of things. Uh, they're the, they're unclean in the Old Testament. And he says, I care for them. I will care for you. They were bottom of the creature barrel. And he says, look, I will care for them. You are so much more valuable than them. I will provide grain for the ravens and I'll care for you as well. And then he goes down the chain, if you will, even to the lilies on the gra- and the grass. Consider how the lilies grow. They don't labor or spin. I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God closes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown in the fire, how much more will he clothe you? 
the assumption is a lot because you're valued. You have a new status under the king of under King Jesus. When King Jesus comes in, when the, the true God comes in, you're given a value and a status that is amazing. Humans are above the animal kingdom and the plant kingdom. Uh, we are beyond animalia and plant life. We are we we are important. And I want you to see what this does in terms of reversing what's the, what, what happens in materialism. You know what materialism ends up doing? It ends up making everything else but humans more like God and more valuable than God. You also understand people are killed for shoes. Do you see how Jesus is going, no, we got it all wrong. The stuff of earth, the, the, uh, the, the, the other parts of creation are not it. You are the valuable thing. You are the crown of my creation. On the sixth day, I said you were not just good like all the rest, but very good. You are my vice regents, my co-heirs, my, the people who are, I've given dominion over the earth. You're the valuable ones, not the stuff. Don't you understand, he's saying, he's, he's, he's flipping the order of materialism over and saying there's a whole new value system here. It's the people, silly. It's you. You're the valuable one. You're the valuable one to me. Rule over them with justice and peace. Don't you know that mammon is a cruel God that makes you less valuable than stuff? Or even other animals. I really believe that most hunger and homelessness and death in this world is caused by a refusal to give up our stuff. The idol of materialism is, is, is grotesque and cruel. And Jesus calls us to value in a different way. I have come, uh, I've come, he says, to bring you life, to change the way you think about all that you do. It's really interesting because he goes not just with a new status like uh, uh, like uh, the old God does, but he also calls us to new spending. Look at 33. It's a different way to spend. Now, this is going to sound absolutely crazy. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. How's that working for you? Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Jesus says, I want you to think about a different way of spending. Does he say sell your possessions and give to the poor? He does. That's exactly what he says. And there are people who throughout scripture have taken this very literally. Francis of Assisi and others. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I got no problem with that. Uh, I think it's broader. Uh, 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 that's fine. Uh, but, uh, but the point is still the same. You can't squirm out of it. One of the ways to attack the God of materialism, to free ourselves from materialism, is to get our minds focused off the stuff we can get ourselves and the status that we can gain for ourselves, but to start to give it to others. One of the ways we combat uh, uh, the God of materialism is to provide for other people. It's a different kind of spending. It's a different kind of uh, a giving. And when you think about it, you go, oh, wait a second, our value's in him anyway. He said he was going to take care of us. Well, as Jim Elliot said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. This isn't ours anyway. It's a different kind of spending, uh, uh, not just spending it on others and selling and giving to others, but also storing up these treasures where we're going to live in a way that spends a little bit more wisely. Um, uh, I'm going to read something from a very f- a famous book in, in Christianity. It's called uh, Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. And... Uh, I don't agree with everything theological in here, but there's some really practical and, uh, remember I said you, you, we need to learn in community? 
and we need to learn from uh, from others and and, and and not necessarily from someone in our own socioeconomic sphere uh, so that we can kind of kind of get at this uh, God of materialism better. Well, Sider does that for me because he basically lives, uh, wherever he lives, he lives on uh, a graduated income that... Uh, that he takes the poverty level and he lives at that part of poverty level. And, uh, and then he sells books and other things like that and he gives all that other stuff away, uh, which is a pretty amazing thing. But, uh, but I love some of the advice that he gives, um, uh, uh, some of the advice he gives, uh, to, 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 to help us kind of fight off and spend in a different, uh, spend our energies and stuff in a different way. Uh, and this is not law for him. He actually says it from the beginning. He says, try gardening. Maybe you can spend a little less money because you garden. Uh, so substitute vegetable protein for animal protein. Did you know that uh, you can get uh, the same amount of protein from peanut butter for 13 cents per unit, which is 73 cents for a veal cutlet? That's kind of interesting. This is an interesting. Join a fa- fa- food co-op. Here's a better one. Fast regularly. Just not need as much, which is something I could use. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, question your own lifestyle. Not your neighbors. That's a good one for all of us who tend to think how bad the other people are. Keep your thermostat at 68. I guess that's in the winter. <laughs> Support public transportation with your feet and your vote. Use bicycles and carpools uh, for trips under a mile or your feet. This is interesting. Make dishwashing a family tide instead of time instead of buying a dishwasher. I don't think that's going to fly for my, my household. But I like it. Buy a fan instead of an air conditioner. This is a really good one. Spending your energies. Laugh regularly at the absurdity of TV commercials. Develop family slogans like, Who are you kidding? And you can't take that with you. Use the postage paid envelopes of direct mail advertisers to object to their unscrupulous advertising. So you can like flip it right back and like write them a note on it. That's kind of fun. Um, resist, resist obsolescence. Purchasing quality products only when you must buy. Uh, share appliances, tools, lawnmowers, sports equipment, books, even a car. It goes on about that. Organizing, uh, uh, he says even for a church, organize the things closet that we might all share it together in, in a closet. I don't know if neighborhood theater were to go for that, but maybe we can get a closet somewhere else to do that. Um, uh, yeah, just a bunch of different things like that. Uh, refuse to keep up with closing fashions. I like that. Virtually no reader of this book needs to buy any clothes except maybe shoes for the next two or three years. It's unbelievable. He's asking and calling us to spend as an act of... But by the way, I'm not saying that's law in any way. I'm just saying it's really good to rub up with people like that, thinking like that. It's really good to think, uh, to rub up with people thinking like that. And there's a new kind of spending he calls us to. But I want you to last, to know one last thing. Jesus is pretty, uh, clear about us. And that's this. That we are weak. And we are little faithers, if you will. It's one word to be, O oh, oh, you of little faith is basically just one, or the O oh is one word and you of little faith is another word. O oh, little faithers, he says. Those with such little faith. And then he calls us an afraid little flock. He knows that we are weak. And he also knows the reason why materialism and the commodity of security and safety is so important is because it is a counterfeit of what he actually provides. 
Jesus actually offers, even in a spending in a kind of ridiculous and countercultural way, uh, even with the value that we have, he offers us something different. For those who come to him, remember it starts with Jesus, uh, Jesus um, says to his disciples in verse, for those who, comes to, for, who come to him, he says, here it is, for the pagan world runs after all these other things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and, these, and, and the things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Jesus offers not just a new value. He doesn't just offer a new type of spending that can be radically different to us than what we're used to. He offers a new security. A security of being a son of the Father. Now, I don't know if you can understand how significant that is. What it means to be a son of the Father in the ancient Near East. What it means to have uh, have a birthright in the Middle East. Maybe you can because of what I just told you about the fuss that was going on about who's going to get the inheritance. Maybe, uh, maybe you can because um, you have not had a father and you know what it is to, be, to lack one. Maybe it is because you had a, uh, an unfather or a disfather who was there but was in a way that, uh, that in, in no way shaped, uh, shaped you towards uh, appreciating fatherhood. Maybe you've had a great father that actually blesses you and gives you an example of this. But because of Jesus, because of the rest of this book, because he goes to the cross and he dies and he resurrects, he comes, uh, comes out of the grave, he offers us a right relationship with the Father. And therefore, he says, we can be brothers together to this Father. He says that I will offer you uh, uh, such deep and wonderful care. I will offer you such, uh, such familial love that you can be secure. You can be cared for. You can be known. And then you don't have to go uh, running after, worshiping after things that you think will bring security. You can be written. You can be adopted into my family. And you can be brought into my family. And you will be, have a secure place as the sons and daughters of God. Co-heirs with Christ. And what does heirs mean? Heirs means you get stuff too. This stuff isn't exactly what we want. It probably won't mean you get you know, big rims and, um, and a cappuccino maker in your car. But who knows what it means? It, what it means, what it, what it talks, what it speaks to mostly isn't just the status, but the security that you would have a dad on this day as we celebrate that, that, you, that God offers, if you, God offers that you would have a dad and he calls us little faithers knowing we don't have much faith to believe it. He calls us people who are weak and a little flock and he says, let me be your father. Please rid yourself. Uh, uh, leave this God of materialism who is cruel and come to me, your Father who can love you. And Jesus says, come to my Father as I make access to this Father uh, uh, through my death and resurrection. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have made a way, that you are our provider, that you, are, um, you care about the stuff of the world, but you care that it also doesn't own us, that it doesn't have us in a way that, uh, that, uh, that, that brings us death and not life. Lord, I do pray that it would bring us life, that you would bring us life, that, uh, that all the things that we want and we, and, we, and we go after, all the ways in which our hearts are idle factories, that you would ease that, that you would, um, that you would give... Um, uh, you, you would... Uh, uh, reign over us and that the God of materialism wouldn't. We need help, Lord. We need um, 
your goodness to overpower our badness. We need you. Uh, We ask this all in your name. Amen.